Hello, my name is Emily Clark. I head up the tax team at Travers Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the sixth episode in our Travelling Seamlessly Global Mobility podcast series. In this series, members of the Travis Smith Global Mobility Team will talk to you about the implications of moving your people and operations into and out of different countries, and also look at situations where members of your team may need to work in more than one country. In this episode, Ian Zyder and Tom Margeson will be discussing the UK tax position of carried interest returns received by internationally mobile fund managers when they come to work in the UK. The fund management industry is a particularly internationalised one, and it is common for individuals to be seconded from their home country. The nature of carried interest is that there is typically a significant gap between the time it is initially awarded and the time when amounts become payable under it. This means that a fund manager may well, when they come to the UK, already have a substantial amount of carry that is expected to or may pay out. Ian and Tom will discuss the position of that existing carried interest and also the position of carry awarded to the manager while they're in the UK. As well as considering managers who do not become UK tax resident, Ian and Tom will pick up the position of managers whose secondment is long enough that they do become resident for a year or two. To find out more about the issues discussed in this podcast, the Travis Smith Global Mobility Team and how we can help with your global mobility projects, you can visit our website www.traversmith.com and search for global mobility. And now over to Tom and Ian. Hello, I'm Ian Zyder, a Knowledge Council in the Travis Smith Tax Department, and I'm joined today by Tom Marchison, an associate in the same department. Tom, perhaps you could explain what we'll be covering today in the sixth of our Travelling Seamlessly podcast series. Sure. So in this podcast, we'll be discussing the UK tax issues relevant to carried interest held by internationally mobile fund managers coming to the UK. We'll be considering both those who come only for a short period of time and don't become UK tax resident, as well as those who come for a little bit longer, so a year or two and do. Where there are important differences, we'll address separately the carried interest that the fund managers already have. So what's been awarded but not paid out in its entirety before they come to the UK and the carry they are awarded whilst they're in the UK. Our listeners are probably aware carried interest or carry is a key feature of the remuneration that fund managers typically get from management of an investment fund. It essentially represents a share of the profits made by the fund and usually only becomes payable once investors have received a certain level of return on their investments. In several jurisdictions, including the UK, carried interest can receive preferred tax treatment when compared with employment or trading income. Thanks, Tom. Of course, when a fund manager comes to work in the UK, there will be a number of tax issues to consider. But in this podcast, we will just be looking at carried interest. It's also worth flagging at the outset that carried interest can be structured in a number of ways, and this will impact on the tax analysis. In this podcast, we will be considering the most straightforward carried interest arrangement, which we see. That's where the fund manager is a limited partner in a carried interest limited partnership, which is itself a limited partner in the main fund limited partnership. And the carry arises as a result of the fund disposing of an asset. Right, Tom. Perhaps you could give us an overview of the UK taxation of carried interest for UK resident managers. Yeah, of course. So 
The basic position is that a gain made by a fund on the disposal of an investment should give rise to carried interest that is subject to a special 28% rate of UK capital gains tax, provided it falls within the statutory definition of carried interest. That definition is very broad and catches pretty much all amounts that a fund manager is likely to consider as carried interest in the commercial sense. However, as we'll come on to see, this basic position can be adversely effective affected if anti-avoidance provisions apply. It's also worth being aware that there are a variety of anti-avoidance provisions in the UK tax code that could potentially be relevant here and which may need to be considered in any given case, especially given HMRC's current focus on the taxation of fund managers. We don't have time to address all of these today and so we'll be focusing on the two that crop up most commonly, which are the employment related securities rules and the income-based carried interest rules. Okay, let's now consider the position of a fund manager who is just coming to the UK for a short period of time and who does not become a UK tax resident. The considerations differ slightly depending on whether the individual is an employee or not, so we'll consider both possibilities. For these purposes, the term employee includes a director. Thanks, Ian. Okay, so We'll start with the situation we see most often, which is where our manager is an employee or director. As I mentioned earlier, the return should be seen as capital unless an anti-avoidance provision applies. Non-resident individuals are not within the scope of UK capital gains tax unless broadly the asset being disposed of is UK land or UK land rich, or unless the asset is in the UK and held for the purposes of a trade carried on by the non-resident through UK branch or agency. For the purposes of this podcast, we'll keep things simple and assume that our fund does not hold UK real estate and we would not expect the individual to hold their carry for the purposes of a trading branch or agency. Therefore, we would not expect our non-resident fund manager to be subject to UK tax to the extent that their carried interest return is treated as capital. Okay, so far so good. But what anti-avoidance provisions should we be looking out for? In in the fairly vanilla circumstances we're considering, an important focus will be the Special Rules for Employment Related Securities, or ERS. Although, as mentioned earlier, other anti-avoidance provisions may also need to be thought through. ERS rules treat certain returns from securities acquired by virtue of employment as employment income, and interest in a carried interest limited partnership will be securities for these purposes. Yes, but importantly, even if the interest in the carry limited partnership is employment related and so is an ERS, it should be possible to fall outside the charging provisions, provided that the fund manager paid full unrestricted market value when they were awarded their carry. Unrestricted market value is broadly the market value ignoring any restrictions which depress value, such as restrictions on transfer. Now, HMRC has published a helpful memorandum of understanding that confirms that if a manager acquires their carried interest at the beginning of the fund's life, provided certain conditions are met, the amount they pay for the carry will be seen as full unrestricted market value. This memorandum is often referred to as the carry MOU. It's usual to structure UK carried interest to fall within the MOU and to back it up with a Section 431 election, which broadly has the effect of taxing upfront any difference between the amount paid and the higher unrestricted market value, so that any future carried interest returns should be outside the ERS regime. 
We would expect the new carry awarded when the manager is in the UK to be structured in this way at the Section 431 election to be entered into. However, it may well be that the manager's existing pre-arrival carry was not structured to fall within the MOU, and it's unlikely that the manager would, or even could, have entered into a Section 431 election in relation to it. Now, in that case, it will be necessary to consider whether the manager did, in fact, actually pay full unrestricted market value for their carried interest. In practice, in most jurisdictions we come across, it's necessary for a manager to pay at least market value when they acquire their carried interest so as to avoid domestic employment tax charges when the carriers eventually realise. However, this does not necessarily mean that they paid unrestricted market value for UK tax purposes. And if they didn't, an element of the carried interest when it arises could be subject to UK employment tax charges, even if the carriers paid after the manager has left the UK. Now, the position is not straightforward, and depending on the facts, it may be possible to get comfortable that no charge arises when the carry is paid. This area is complex, and it's something we can advise on. Thanks, Ian. That's, that's really helpful. OK, let's now consider the position if our individual is not an employee or director. Again, provided an anti-avoidance provision doesn't apply, the starting position is that the carry should be a capital return and as a non-resident we would not expect our manager to be liable to pay any UK tax on it when it's paid. This time as our manager is not an employee or director the employment related securities regime shouldn't be relevant. However we will have to consider the anti-avoidance provisions relating to the income-based carried interest rules. These weren't in point when our manager was an employee or director as the rules specifically are disapplied in relation to carried interest that is within the employment related securities regime. That disapplication applies even if full unrestricted market value was paid so that there should be no ERS related tax charges. Other anti-avoidance provisions may, depending on the facts, also need to be considered, but our focus today for, non for the non-employee will be on the income-based carried interest rules. Essentially, these treat the carry as trading income rather than a capital return, where the fund does not hold its investments for a long period of time. This matters because trading income is taxed at rates up to 48.25% once national insurance contributions are included. Right. So the big question, how long is a long period of time? Huh. Well, basically, to prevent the income-based carried interest rules applying, the fund must hold its underlying investments for, on average, at least 40 months. And there are some fairly complicated rules for determining this, for example, to deal with bolt-ons and the like. Does it help for income-based carried interest purposes that the manager is non-resident, or is that just if capital treatment applies? The effect of the income-based carried interest rules applying is that the carried interest is treated as trading income of the manager. As a non-resident, the manager is only subject to UK tax on that trading income to the extent that they perform services in the UK in the relevant tax year. However, it may be possible to knock out that trading charge altogether if the manager is resident in a country which has a double tax treaty with the UK that allows the UK to tax that other country's uh, residents on their UK trading profits, but only if they have a UK permanent establishment. Most double tax treaties have an article like that, but won't the UK offices of the fund house count as a permanent establishment? Not, not necessarily. The question is whether the manager has their own personal permanent establishment. The fact that they are working in a permanent establishment of the fund house is not directly relevant. 
the precise facts will be key, but it may well be possible to conclude that the individual does not have their own permanent establishment so that treaty relief is available to knock out the income-based carried interest charge. Now, if there is no relevant double tax treaty, the extent to which the income-based carried interest is taxable will depend on where the individual performs the relevant management services. This may mean that the carry awarded when in the UK will be subject to tax to a greater extent than the manager's existing non-UK carry. Right, thanks. So now let's discuss what happens if our manager stays long enough to become UK tax resident. Again, we'll think about his pre-existing carry and anything that he's awarded when in the UK. Okay, so the starting point for a UK resident is that the normal UK tax rules apply. However, the UK has special beneficial rules for residents who are not domiciled in the UK. Domicile is a longer term concept than residence in that it is broadly a person's true home. As our manager is only coming to the UK for a year or two, we'll assume that they will not be UK domiciled, i.e. that they will be a so-called non-dom. We'll also assume that they have not previously been UK resident. You mentioned earlier that if capital treatment applies, you would not expect a non-resident manager to have to pay UK CGT on his carry. That's not the same for our resident manager. But can the beneficial rules that apply to non-DOMs help here? Yes, they, they definitely could do. So essentially, under these special rules known as the remittance basis, a non-domiciled individual only has to pay CGT on their foreign gains when they bring them into the UK or remit them to the UK. The normal rules for determining when a gain is foreign tell you to look at where the asset is located, but these rules are disapplied for carried interest. And for carry, a gain is foreign to the extent that the individual performs their investment management services for the relevant fund outside of the UK. So if our manager does no work whilst in the UK relating to the funds for which they have existing carried interest, the remittance basis should apply to any carried interest that pays out during their time in the UK. For carried interest, they are awarded relating to their UK work. If it pays out whilst they are still UK resident, then if the carry relates wholly to that UK work, the remittance basis would not apply to any of it and the carry would be subject to UK taxation. If the reality is that the individual does some work relating to their existing carried interest whilst in the UK, and some work for their new carried interest when abroad, then a just and reasonable apportionment will need to be made looking at all the facts. Now, our manager is UK resident. They are unlikely to be able to rely on a tax treaty with their home jurisdiction to mitigate the charge. But this may depend on whether they have retained their tax residence in that jurisdiction. Yes, and the apportionment may require more than just allocation by reference to time spent by the manager in the UK and abroad. The relative value and importance of the work performed in each location may also be in point, and the manager should keep records to back up their conclusion. So Tom, as with our non-UK resident individuals, presumably capital treatment can still be overridden if anti-avoidance rules apply. Yes, that's right. Um, again, there are a variety of anti-avoidance provisions that may, depending on the facts, be relevant, but we'll keep our focus here on the income-based carried interest rules and the employment-related securities rules. So if our manager is an employee, then again, the ERS rules are in point, but no charge should arise provided that full unrestricted market value was paid on acquisition 
and or a section 431 election was entered into. For carry awarded when our manager is UK resident, we'll assume that care will be taken to ensure that the award is structured in this way so that no ERS charges should arise when the carry is eventually paid out. Now, as we discussed earlier in the context of a non-resident manager, a manager may not have paid full unrestricted market value for carry awarded before they came to the UK and are unlikely to have entered into a Section 41 election. In that case, the position is similar to that we discussed earlier in an element of the carried interest when it arises could be subject to UK employment tax charges, even if the carry is paid after the manager has left the UK. Again, the position isn't straightforward and depending on the facts, it may be possible to get comfortable that no charge arises when the carry is paid. The rules are slightly different where the manager is a non-domiciled UK resident as compared to when they are non-UK resident. But again, this is a complex area and it's something that we can advise on. Ian, do you want to finish off by dealing with the position if our manager is not an employee? Sure. Again, the income-based carried interest rules will be relevant. If our manager is a non-employee and the farm holds its investments for less than 40 months on average, at least part of the carried interest will be treated as trading income. When our manager was not UK resident, we discussed that it may be possible for them to rely on a double tax treaty, double tax treaty to eliminate the charge, provided they do not have a personal permanent establishment here in the UK. Now our manager is UK resident, they are unlikely to be able to rely on the treaty. But this may depend on whether they have retained their tax residence in their home jurisdiction. In addition, the remittance basis generally does not apply to income-based carried interest. However, there is an exception for where, as in our case, the manager has not been UK resident in the previous five years. In that situation, broadly, the remittance basis applies to carry arising in any of the first four tax years of UK residents to the extent that it arises by virtue of pre-arrival services performed outside the UK. This exception should help with our manager's existing carry, but will not help with carry awarded in the UK on the basis that that does not relate to pre-arrival services. That makes sense. Thanks very much, Ian. It's, I think it's also worth remembering that the UK tax position may well only be half the story. The manager will also need to consider the tax position in their home jurisdiction. If tax charges arise both there and in the UK, it will be important to consider whether double taxation relief is available, but that's not something we've got time to consider today. Great. Thanks, Tom. I hope our listeners have found this podcast helpful. If you would like help with the issues we've discussed, please contact either of us or your usual Travis Smith contact.